0: Coming to you from St. Petersburg, Florida, you're listening to the St. Petersburg Foodies Podcast, the show that's the authority on where to eat in St. Pete. Here are your hosts, Kevin Godby and Lori Brown. Hi,
1: I'm Kevin Godby.
0: And I'm Lori Brown. Thank you for tuning in today.
1: Welcome to the St. Petersburg Foodies Podcast, the podcast that's it when it comes to restaurants and food information in St. Pete.
0: And be sure to check out our website, stpetersburgfoodies.com. There, you'll find great information, including restaurant reviews, the largest St. Pete happy hour list ever created and kept updated, and information on the newest restaurants in town. We are locals that live in downtown St. Pete, and we've been eating our way through this town for years, so you don't have to, but you should.
1: We are a weekly podcast with new episodes coming out every Tuesday afternoon, which you can listen to whenever you feel like it, because it's a podcast. then hopefully you'll subscribe and give us a good review on iTunes or wherever you like to listen.
0: On today's show, Kevin and I will be talking about the use of the word authentic as it applies to different types of cuisine. Our guests today are Chris Fernandez, the executive chef of the Red Mesa Group of Restaurants, and Andy J, beverage director and general manager of Red Mesa Cantina.
1: We'll be talking to Chris and Andy about how the three Red Mesa locations differ from each other and Chris's annual trips back home to Oaxaca, Mexico, where he continues to discover new ingredients, recipes, and techniques to bring back with him.
0: After that, we'll play our music segment, open our lunchbox, share our tip of the week, and have a gluten-free wrap-up.
1: All of that is coming up on today's episode of the St. Petersburg Foodies Podcast. So grab a snack, pour a drink, and relax while we serve up the show.
0: Have you been to Anada lately? If you haven't, you really must go. Kevin and I hadn't been for a while and recently rediscovered it, and it's just blowing our minds that the menu's fantastic. Everybody thinks of cheese and charcuterie when they think of Anada. They do a fantastic presentation, and it's always amazing, but I would really recommend branching out and trying some of this stuff off of the menu. Recently, we had the uh, tuna tartare, and it's some of the best I've ever had. They put it atop a seaweed salad, and that just balances it out, and they have these little crisps on top. It's just amazing. They always do a wonderful job with the octopus appetizer as well. And then we tried the oxtail tortelloni the last time we were there, and it was just superb. But on my list next is the short rib bold and I can't wait to try that. The only reason I haven't tried it yet is because the specials have always been too good to pass up. If you haven't been, you definitely must go to Anata.
1: Anata Wine Bar is located at 300 Beach Drive in downtown St. Petersburg. They open every day at 4 p.m.
0: You really must go to Anata.
1: So, today we're going to talk about authentic, fill in the blank, food. And I'm going to give you the conclusion first and then tell you how we got there. The conclusion is that using the word authentic when it comes to describing food is, for the most part, useless. The word authentic is a useless word for describing food. Now we're going back to the beginning. This is from a post two years ago. We have a, we have a Facebook group. If you want to uh, check it out, search for St. Petersburg Foodies Restaurant Reviews as a Facebook group. And this was posted like two years ago, and I still remember it. Somebody said, any recommendations for authentic Mexican food? Clarification. I'm looking for more traditional, homey kind of Mexican cooking. Not orange braised duck confit. Grilled pineapple, goat cheese, cilantro, and red chili jelly kind of tacos. We all love Red Mesa, just looking for something different. Nothing against the person who posted that, because it was good that she made a clarification that what she was looking for. The only problem is, she said, any recommendations for authentic Mexican food? The thing is, I bet you anything that 99.9% of the people in America, at least, not just Florida or St. Pete, have zero clue whatsoever what authentic Mexican food is, because if they did, they wouldn't want it, because the first tacos that ever came out, it wasn't ground beef in there, it was what's called awful meat, O-F-F-A-L, I believe, even though it sounds like awful, because it's kind of awful, because it's entrails, that was the first taco, so if you really want authentic tacos, you better be eating entrails.
0: Authentic to one person isn't the same to another person. I mean, it goes back to the topic we had before on childhood foods. I really believe that people's tastes are formed from the beginning, from their times with their parents, the food they had as they were growing up. People base authentic off of nurture.
1: Yeah, and like I talked about on that episode, that the first, quote, Mexican food that I had as a kid were tacos from the, uh, like, Old El Paso or or Ortega taco kit, where they're hard shells, it's ground beef, lettuce, tomato, cheese, and taco sauce, whatever taco sauce is. (laughs) There's no such thing as taco sauce. It was invented. It's not like authentic taco sauce. Brought to you by Old El Paso. I still crave tacos that are hard shell with the ground beef, the same stuff. And
0: And you'd probably be happy as could be if I came home with Old El Paso.
1: Yeah, but I wouldn't have been it on the podcast. <laughs> uh, so authentic. The reason I say it's a useless word, because you're saying authentic Mexican. Okay. From which region, which neighborhood? That's like saying.
0: What's authentic American?
1: Right. That's like saying, uh, I want some authentic American food. Okay. Well, do you want authentic American food from New York? Or Texas?
0: Or North America? Or South America?
1: Or New Orleans? Right. They're all different. There's, There's how many, I don't even know how many kinds of barbecue there are. That's probably, that's another whole conversation we could, we'll have to research on. But there's, you know, there's North Carolina barbecue, there's Texas barbecue, there's Kansas City barbecue. They're all different. So it's also like saying authentic barbecue. What kind of authentic barbecue? It makes no sense. Aside from the the post that I read in the beginning of this, every time we write an article on stpetersburgfoodies.com, we've done reviews of Mexican restaurants. And then we post a little intro and the link in the Facebook group, and there's always somebody screaming, it's not authentic.
0: Ah, I'm out.
1: <laughs> yeah. So I know we're focusing mostly on Mexican because that's where it seems to come up the most, but it, it applies to every type of food from every whatever country, region, type of cuisine.
0: Absolutely. But, Italian as well. I mean, yeah, mostly people think Southern Italian, red sauce, all the...
1: Yeah, spaghetti and meatballs, right. lasagna, ravioli, but there's, that's one region of Italy. Yes. There's a great article that I, I linked to back a few months ago when we posted the uh, 10 best taco places in St. Pete. It's on smithsonian.com titled, Where Did the Taco Come From? I encourage you to Google that. It has a lot of great information on the history of the taco. Uh, how it originated. That's where I got my information on that. It was uh, entrails and guts and stuff for the first tacos. So you should definitely check that out. Now, here's another thing, another opinion I have. Even though I'm saying that the use of the word authentic is pretty much useless when describing food, well, the more general you are, but at the same time, I wouldn't criticize a particular restaurant. What popped in my head is Agave on St. Pete Beach, which is a great Mexican restaurant right on their sign real big outside it says authentic Mexican food. Well, what that really means is authentic from their neighborhood where they came from in Mexico. That's what it really means. It doesn't mean for the entire country.
0: Everything with food is subjective. And whether we like to admit it or not, you want to be a food critic, you want to say you're awesome, you want to say things are wonderful and great. It's still subjective. It's your opinion.
1: And everybody, I mean, Anybody that consider, considers themselves a good cook or a chef, I think, they, one of the things they usually pride themselves on is that they don't follow a recipe, because that's copying somebody else. A recipe can be a guide, but usually everybody likes to put their own personal twist on stuff. I know I do. Absolutely. And so now is it not authentic? Well, it's authentic Kevin Godby version.
0: It's authentic <laughs> to you. That's really the bottom line, is everything is really authentic to you.
1: Yeah. So... If you want to use the word authentic, just keep all that stuff in mind, or don't use
2: it.
0: So we'd love to hear your thoughts, too. You can send us an email at info at PetersburgFoodies.com, leave a comment on our webpage at PetersburgFoodies.com, or comment on social media at any of our uh, sites on Facebook or on Instagram.
1: You're listening to the St. Petersburg Foodies Podcast. Our guests today are from the Red Mesa Trio of restaurants here in St. Petersburg, Florida. We have with us an authentic Mexican, Chris, Chef Chris Fernandez, and Beverage Director and General Manager, Andy J. Welcome to the show, guys. Welcome.
3: Thank Thanks you. for having us.
1: And are, are you authentic Mexican also, Andy?
3: No, no, I'm, I'm a melting pot. <laughs> melting pot. Okay. Much like the city in Mexico is. So.
0: <laughs>
1: you guys came up in the uh, conversation about authentic Mexican, and I think we already might have beat it to death a little bit that there's really no such thing as authentic, but...
0: Mainly because different
2: regions, you know, that's what we talk yeah. about is...
1: So, Chris, you come from Oaxaca.
2: Yes, i uh, from Oaxaca City. And, and
1: you still have family there.
2: I do. I do have, like, uh, my dad's still there and a couple sisters and two brothers.
1: And you go once a year?
2: I go once a year. I go. I used to go, like, three weeks or so, but now I cut it down to, like, 10 days. You know, after 10 days, I really want to come back home. <laughs> Right. But that, that gives me enough time to go and uh, um, just spend time with the family, see friends. And I use that time as well for uh, uh, learning more about my culture and my food. So,
1: mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess there's, there's always something new that you can learn. Things are always evolving. Absolutely. Or you come up with a new idea like, hey, what if I did it this way this time and added this ingredient? And it's a slightly new thing now.
0: Right. How old were you? When you actually came to the States?
2: I was uh, going to be 15 when I came to the States. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's like a long time ago. And <laughs> to St. Pete? originally. Yes, actually, yes. I was here in St. Pete. Uh, I did flew over, you know, I was in Utah for no more than a month. But my sister lived here and my brother-in-law got transferred here. So I came here like it was like the late 80s. Mm-hmm. That's when I got here.
1: When and how did you decide to be a chef?
2: Well, that was probably um, early 90s. But pretty much growing up with my mom used to be a great chef. She would cook every weekend, every day for families, friends, uh, um, birthdays. Everybody that has something going on with the family, they always wanted Mami Chata to, to make dinner for us. <laughs> and uh, she, like I said, weekends, always you see the big displays at the house. That was something that I was, I was young. I was probably like four or five years old, you know, just hanging out with mom all the time. And then at one point, my sister owned a couple restaurants in Oaxaca City. That was probably more like late 70s. The, again, the person that was cooking all the time was my mom. So, you know, I hung out there the same thing and always hop out, you know, a little bit, but I always was like in the kitchen with her. So when I decided to become a chef, pretty much uh, my first couple years, uh, here in the States was working as a busboy, food runner, you know, uh, make pizzas. Uh, I did a little bit of every kind of cuisine. And then uh, uh, when I got really focused on it is when I started working at the Columbia restaurant in 89, 90, Uh right here at the pier. Oh, wow. Yes, uh, it took me back then. That was one of the first really restaurants that I worked for. So I worked at the Columbia restaurant for about four and a half years right about 94, I needed to work. I needed to do something else besides just the Columbia restaurant. I was going to school and made a part-time job. So um, one of my friends, uh, which is right now our uh, banquet chef, uh, Ponciano, uh, he's like, you know, over there on Forest Street by our house, there is a little mine restaurant. He's, I say, a mine? He's like, yeah, because he's packed all the time, like when you go and get gold in a mine, everybody's like going back and forth. Oh, oh, like a gold mine. Like okay. a gold mine. And I'm like, what? And he's like, yeah, the name is the C-Bar Restaurant. And I'm like, so, you know, uh, like a couple of weeks later, I went over there and uh, applied for a job and Peter uh, interviewed me. I remember that. He uh, interviewed me. He's like, you know, okay, you know, I need a line cook. Mm-hmm. So I started working there like, uh, actually, that was more like, it was 93. I'm sorry. It was like 93. Because I worked at the bar restaurant for a couple of years before we decided to close down on late 95, September 5th of 95. That's when we closed the Seabar. Uh, the was and it not uh, a
0: gold mine anymore?
2: It was getting uh, a lot of competition on seafood restaurants because, you know, we used to have only on Forest Street. 4th Street Shrimp Store, the Sea Bar Restaurant, and Peps Sea Grill, right on 72nd and 4th Street, owned by Frank uh, Chivas. So that was the only restaurant back then on 4th Street. Wow. And then uh, Leverock's came in, uh, a couple other places that came in where it's now or used to be the Wing House, there were used to be seafood restaurants there. So at one point, we had probably like six, seven restaurants, seafood restaurants. It was time to do a change. The last couple of years working at Seabart, you know, knowing when I met Pete and Sean, you know, I, I, knowing that she was Mexican-Irish and he's Cuban, you know, hon, uh, half Honduran. So like uh, I started like kind of doing a little bit here and there when late like Seabard, and then finally when we closed down, I got a phone call after a couple of weeks that Seabart, close and uh, talked to Sean and Pete, and they offered me the position of uh, the executive chef at Red Mesa on 4th Street. Mid-1995, that's when we opened Red Mesa. Mm-hmm. From there, it's been, it's, we're going to our 24th year over there. Wow, that's, that's awesome. awesome.
0: That's great. What a great story. Yeah.
2: yeah.
1: And then Cantina is uh, 11 years old now.
2: Yes, uh, it will be. Uh, the, f- the first of the year. The first of the year, that will be 11 years old.
1: And it's uh, 10 years since I've been living almost above it. I, I, funny thing is, back in the 80s, I had a, well, it's still it's still there. My favorite Mexican restaurant in uh, New York City, because I'm originally from Jersey, and I'd go into Manhattan all the time, El Rio Grande. There's condos above it. And I would always, even ba- way back then, I was like, I want to live above a Mexican place. I wanna, in the I, wanna, city. I wanna that's awesome. And now I do. And now yeah. well, I have been for yeah, ten years.
3: I, I can see where we work every day, just right down there. It's a beautiful view. Yeah.
2: You know, we used to have a Rio Grande here. I don't know if you remember. Oh, really? No. It
3: used to yes, be Yes, I do.
2: It used to be mm-hmm. by uh, Pasadena. Mm-hmm. Uh, you take like uh, going to say to um Yeah, going to Pasadena Beach, uh, you go there now on the on the left side going to the beaches, you have the rocks. It is a lava rocks, there, yeah, but there you got to you got to cross that. You got to go over oh, the right. over, over the Causeway. Yes, got it. It's right there. Uh, there is like a little marina right there on the because left know side. so I
0: what you're talking about. I used to go there all the time. I can't remember the name of
2: it. And it was another Spanish restaurant next next to that named La Paella Loca. The
0: Blue Parrot. Is that what you're talking about? Uh, yes. yes.
2: Yes. Yes. So that was we're talking about early '90s. That's mm-hmm. when that uh, Rio Grande used to be. Uh, Oh wow. I
1: I only occasionally leave the three three seven oh one and you guys are (laughs) one of the
2: reasons.
0: (laughs) Yeah.
1: I know in the in the ten years I've been here and going to Red Mesa Cantina on a regular basis, there are certain menu items that were there ten years ago, eleven years ago, and they're still there today and I'm really glad that they are. But then it looks like you have you'll do specials and sometimes if you get a special that's really popular, it then like its award is it gets to be a menu item
2: yes uh well you know that's when we create our menu we get uh feedback from the customers and from the employees and uh and we do track on numbers to what sells what good what is good what fits into the theme that we have because cantina is something totally different than the other two restaurants that we have you know we do more like modern mexican and of course using a lot of the flavors you know that we, um, we had created through the years starting up 4th Street. But yes, uh, to, to give you an answer on that, we keep track and we get feedback, and uh, that's how we decide how popular are some of these items that go into the menu.
1: Yeah, and actually we should probably talk about the differences between the three locations for people that might not know. So Restaurant was the first one on 4th on Street. And how, how would you describe that briefly?
2: We do more regional Mexican, Southwest, on Forest Street, that was the first thing that, that we came out with. Myself, being from Oaxaca, I, in my knowledge growing up, I brought a lot of stuff that my man used to cook, a lot of stuff that is not your average Mexican, your typical Mexican, you know? So we do more regional. I mean, I'm, from the city that I'm from, we have so much... Uh, a variation of ingredients, the flavors there are just like, it's very hard to find those flavors in other cities mm-hmm. or in other states here. I would say the kind of cuisine that we do is regional. I would say a little bit more indigenous, a little bit mm-hmm. more uh, mestizo, a lot of recipes that being, you know, in, um, for over, I would say, lots of years, 100 years or so. Not that I know all those recipes but (laughs) that's something that that I use when I travel. Uh, I like to go to the little cities to to try the the, you know the home cooking of these little towns to get Mm -hmm. more more used to the flavors and the ideas and the kind of cooking. That's the stuff that we do at at Forest Street.
0: Right.
1: And then Cantina in contrast?
2: Cantina is more modern, you know, is it's a really fun place, you know. uh, uh, when it comes to the food we try to To pretty much stay fresh, to stay more uh, current to uh, the culinary, uh, I would say, trends that they are around. And, and of course, always using the same kind of, uh, I would say, the ingredients because, you know, I love chiles. I love salsas. uh, You know, different stuff that we have tried or created through the years. I like to incorporate it on, on cantina's menu with a modern twist. Mm-hmm. Sort of a you modern know.
0: American type flair.
2: Yeah, a little yeah. bit more like, yeah, yeah. modern Mexican, you modern know. Modern Mexican. Uh, uh, pretty much that, and having also, you know, the biggest selection of, of tequila and mezcal on this And right. this side of Florida, you know, I think it complements a lot the food that we do. Yes.
1: Yeah, we need to get a list and just start checking them off. There's, <laughs> the, the, the There's the a
0: deal. lot. <laughs>
1: <laughs> One of your roles is beverage director, Yes. yes. So with the tequilas, how, how do you, first of all, how, do you, how did you come to be the biggest selection in the South and how do you manage and maintain that?
3: A lot of time and patience <laughs> and uh, you know, I, and have taste the, test. I have the tough job of having to taste <laughs> yeah. test. I think I've almost made it through all of them. I mean, we were the largest selection before I got there. We were at about, what Chris, I've been there five years now, we we're at about 300. When I got there, and now we're up to 450 tequilas. Wow, Um, we're up to over 100 mezcals, too, which I think is even more. And that's and and
2: that's also uh, he just mentioned in the brands of tequilas that we have, but also each brand has like three to four tiers. Mm -hmm. So you look at it this way: we have over 1,200 different tequila.
1: Oh wow, flavors actual
2: variations.
4: Yeah,
1: I would need a spreadsheet for that.
3: I have a a (laughs) spreadsheet; it's many pages long. Yeah. Many, many, many books of notes. And you guys have regular tastings as well, tequila tastings. Yes, uh, second Tuesday of every month we do a tequila Tuesday. It's free to all guests to sign up. Uh, first 30 or 40 to sign up have space. Um, I personally do a class every Tuesday at three for the staff, so I further educate them on tequila or whatever current trend is in the. In the That's drink. great. Yeah.
1: Can I sit in on? some
0: I of was going to say I, I volunteer to be staff on Tuesdays. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, just yeah. send <laughs> me an email. Come on in. I've
3: got have got a rep for Tequila Roblesillon coming in today. Just every. Every Tuesday at 3 is a standing class.
1: Yeah, you know, maybe uh, for a future show, we'll have
3: you back, and maybe
1: we can do one of those classes.
3: Absolutely. Why not? <laughs>
0: yeah, we'll I'm sound serious. pretty loopy by the end of it. Yeah, I'll bring, I'll, I'll,
3: I'll bring samples, too. Yeah. <laughs> Actually,
2: it makes it more fun. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
3: Makes me more fun, too. <laughs> I know. Tell
1: me about <laughs> All it. All of us. <laughs> yeah, my sister would call me at around 5. She knows I stopped working. She's like, did you have a drink yet? And I say, no. She's like, I'll call you back in fifteen minutes.
3: Nice. <laughs> By five fifteen, did you have a drink yet? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That's the idea.
1: <laughs> Let's take a quick break there, and then we'll be right back.
3: Today, there's a beer for everyone. Hey, me and the guys are going out for a beer. You want to come along? Nah, I got a lot of data to enter into the computer tonight.
1: Now, there's a brew for the future. Want me
3: to bring you something back? Thanks, but I got some right here.
1: Microsoft Brew. You
3: got a beer tap on your
1: computer? With a head so thick, you can float a mouse on it. Let me get this straight. You make your own beer with the computer? It's the right software. You can do anything. Microsoft Brew. Here, I call this one Windows
4: 95. <sighs> I don't know. It leaves a bad taste in my mouth. And if you got to get there quicker, try the new ISDN malt liquor.
1: And we're back with Andy J., beverage director and GM at Red Mesa Cantina and executive chef, Chris Fernandez. So we were talking about the different differences between the three spaces and we have the the newest space, which is Red Mesa Mercado. Is how old now?
2: That's going to be, this year coming out is going to be our four year.
1: Mm -hmm. And the style there.
2: Is that, uh, again, now we're going to go from, uh, I would say, Regional Mexican on Fourth Street, modern Mexican, a cantina. Now we're going to a little bit to more Cali, Cali style, Cali Mm Mex. A little bit of uh, lightly Tex Mex on it. Kind Uh, of
0: more street foodish. More street
2: food. More. uh, You've been you've been to Cali. You know you've been to Texas. uh, You find out that pretty much uh, as you driving by, like every corner or every couple blocks, you find a burrito joint, and that's pretty much. uh, what when we decided to come up with this concept? Uh, Sean is from uh, uh, from Cali, and uh, she grew eating, you know, uh, a Rosa Maria's, one of these little nice Mexican uh, uh, burrito joints, like around the corner from her house. And we wanted to have something similar to that. So you know, we went, we took it, we check it out, we came back, we tried to do something similar with that, with our own touch utilizing a little bit of the flavors from all the other two restaurants, and we created the Red Mesa Mercado, you know, more street food, burritos. And
1: and it's also called Mercado because originally when it opened, you did have a a small market there.
2: Yes. uh, You know, we did have a a small market there for the first year and a half. We tried. uh, We didn't have the, uh, I would say, uh, not a lot of people was used to having that kind of market here in St. Pete. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we, we were patient about it. We were selling ceviches. We were doing our carnies and, uh, uh or pan dulce and stuff like that. And we really didn't have the, the food traffic for that. So one stuff that we kept uh, was our breakfast. And we kept our tortillas because we make our tortillas right there. At uh, this point, we're making our flour tortillas for all three restaurants. You know, we have sell some of our tortillas to some of our friends on the, on the other restaurants. And uh, but pretty soon, too, in the next probably, I would say, a couple of months, uh, you know, uh, Andy, we're going to start making our corn tortillas oh, over there awesome. at Mercado. That's awesome. So,
1: so we have, a, we have an, a really cool video that we did on stpetersburgfoodies.com of the tortilla manuf- uh, making of the tortillas.
2: Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's and, you know, cool. and actually it's going to get better because, you know, we— uh, for the first, said it's been three years, right now going to our fourth, we, uh, we just started with the basic equipment on making our tortillas, so uh, the, uh, the demand is there, so we're going to start improving that a little bit better, and we will be uh, doing uh, you know, a better job doing it and produ- producing a little bit more. So
1: Yeah, Let's, uh, and just going back on one thing, you mentioned uh, Sean, I know who Sean is, but
0: I was going to say the same thing, Sean and Pete.
2: Sean and Pete, yeah, uh, they are the owners of the Red Mesa. Mm-hmm. It's like family. We've been together for 24 years. Right. So you're, they're your partners and yes. all of this. Yeah,
1: yeah and at uh, Red Mesa Mercado, there are also awesome tacos that are ground beef with the lettuce, tomato, cheddar cheese, and a hard shell, which was the first type of taco I ever had when I was a kid. And From
0: old El Paso. <laughs> yes, yes,
3: from the box. Yes, from exactly, the box exactly. exactly. Yes, of course.
0: <laughs> this,
1: this is true. I have to admit.
2: Well, you know but, that was one of the things that pretty much you find in Cali. That's more your Cali, you know, uh, Cali story, uh, Cali cooking. You know, your mm-hmm. Tex Mex. You know, once you start seeing on a taco sour cream and lettuce and cheddar jack cheese, that's Tex Mex, right? Yes. You know, uh, once you start seeing burritos in all these restaurants. Even um, from what I know and what people say, the burrito originated in California back a couple, I would say in the 1800s when California was part of Mexico. Oh, wow. You know, that's how uh, they, the legends say that this guy was bringing food to the armies in these donkeys. And they will have these tortillas wrapped with food. So that's how... You know, the, burrito came, the right. burrito
3: came. That's what they say. Burrito, burro. That's <laughs> exactly. Where, so that's what the relation is. That's what... Uh, um, yeah. well, you know, and, there's, and there's nothing wrong with the crispy, shelled, ground beef, slathered in sour cream, cheddar yeah. jack These tacos like that, he, that, he be, that people, like. people like. There's them, nothing yes. wrong with those. But um, every, everybody's got their own perception and their own idea of what kind of taco they like. I like... I do happen to like duck tacos with red chili jelly. I think they're delicious. <laughs> I, I ordered, it was my first order at Red Mesa Cantina 10 years ago. Yeah.
1: I, I like them too. Sometimes I'm, I get in the mood for a Mercado beef taco. Old ground fashioned beef ground beef taco. Yeah. Crispy yeah. shell. Yeah. That's perfect. And also, I recommend the empinadas. Filling is amazing on that as well, on the beef empinadas.
3: Oh, the picadillo, yes. it's delicious. <laughs> yeah, you know, picadillo, we,
1: right.
2: W- yeah. W- one of the differences is <laughs> that we use uh, uh, New Mexico green chiles into the uh, picadillo, so that makes it... Oh, no it, way. Oh, nice. Wow. Uh, or, or picadillo uh, mercado is made with uh, um, green chiles, so that makes it that, that kick a little bit and... Uh, is the difference right. it's not just
3: ground beef yeah we don't have uh, green chilies at the cantina we don't
2: have any place but only a mercado so we try Holden to we try to do couple uh couple things that we just keep for all the restaurants you know that's why they are unique that's why some people come to cantina and they want a pork tenderloin a plant pork tenderloin or so you know we don't have that here we got it on forestry or somebody right. goes to forestry they want a a certain kind of tackle, you know, we have it at Mercado. right? Mm-hmm. So we, that's, that's why we decided to do a little bit of the difference on each restaurant, you know, so you can go and experience, you know, the different kinds of, of cuisine.
1: And the, the newest two spaces mm-hmm. are at Red Mesa Cantina. It used to be upstairs, used to be Push Ultra Lounge. And was it oh, about a year ago? Yeah, we not quite.
3: St- we started working on this space um, about a year and a half ago. We opened in November. Uh, so, the second floor is called Cantonita, which is Little Cantina. Beautiful, beautiful view of our courtyard downstairs. You can see a little bit of the skyline of St. Pete, uh, covered awning. It's available for private rent. We similar have,
2: to your view.
3: Similar, <laughs> similar, similar. There's a little difference. It was
0: about 10 more stories high. Yeah. Um,
3: yeah. I mean, you've got access to the same tequila list we have uh, downstairs, as immaculate and expansive as it is. We've got about 35 different bottles of tequila up there now, draft beer. Um, inside ballroom La Florida is fantastic. Uh, we've done uh, weddings. We've done a couple corporate events We're doing an agave seminar coming up soon a little more uh, brand education for the bartenders in Tampa Bay And then our rooftop space is De Santo uh, Which means the saint so like st. Petersburg you get that beautiful rooftop view um, the sunset Tropicana field when the rays win right and um, slightly different cocktail spin up there than we do downstairs
2: At this point right now, we are working on, you know, some new menus for the event space. For all those uh, reservations that people are making, you know, it's either for, you know, rehearsals, any kind of uh, holiday parties, or we are providing also uh, some tequila dinners. Eventually, we'll be doing some chef dinners. And we're just going to change a little bit around, you know, with Andy here bringing all kinds of not just tequila, wines, and uh, beer dinners. So that's something that we're focusing, and we're dedicating uh, you know, our time to plan accordingly the menus and to taste the uh, the pairing so that way when we launch it, uh, everybody signs off and we're ready mm-hmm. to go pretty much.
1: So there'll be some events coming up, uh, some themed dinners, and then it's also available for private parties, yes?
3: Absolutely. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, Andy
0: said they did some weddings and and such there already. Yeah, we've got a
3: lot of holiday parties that we did last year. We have a few more coming up. Um, There's always going to be Red Mesa events that we'll be hosting. Hopefully on a quarterly basis is maybe what we're looking forward to down the line. Hopefully we're not so crazy busy that we can still do that. But, um, you know, you got this guy in the kitchen and you you got me leading the, the circus out front. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. It's a lot of fun.
0: Well, I have to say, there's one thing, if there's one thing people don't know, probably the biggest well kept secret about Red Mesa Cantina. So, you have one of the best burgers in St. Petersburg. That's absolutely true. It's one of the. Yeah. yeah. Oh,
1: that's so funny. That's uh, kind of how we started going out. Yeah. <laughs> not, not how we met. No. But I, I ran into Lori one, one night. You know, we're both single at the time. We're just kind of acquaintances. And I just happened to mention the best burger is at Red Mesa Cantina. And, of course, She was skeptical about that, so she Mm. had to go find out for herself.
0: Well, actually, you posted a picture of it on Facebook. The sirloin Chorizo Burger is what we are speaking of. Oh, yeah. And he posted a picture on Facebook, and then I went and had it for myself and took a picture and posted it on Facebook, and he ended up meeting me down there for a drink, and the rest is history. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) That's the the short version. Thanks. The very, very short version.
1: (laughs) And another well-kept secret is that you guys have one of the best hot sauces, and you can buy it and bring it home. Absolutely. And put it on other stuff, too.
3: I put it on everything. I put it on eggs. I put it on bagels. I put it in drinks. It's pretty versatile. I always have a bottle in my pantry. And also, you know
2: what? You can put it on, on, believe it or not, on popcorn. You can put it on uh, Ruffles, you know, chips. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Nice. Uh, That can be an extra thing when you're watching football or, you know, any kind of sports (laughs) you have to munch around. That is great.
1: So next time you go to Red Mesa Cantina and you see the uh, hot sauce on the table, remember to... Say you want to buy a, at least one bottle. Yeah,
3: so all you have to do Red is Red Mesa
0: that. Rioja, right?
1: Rioja, yeah.
3: The Roja, yeah.
0: Kevin even has a bottle at my house. He won't leave home without it. Smart. <laughs> Smart. <laughs> Guys,
1: thanks for coming in.
0: Yes, thanks thanks for
3: you. Us. thank you. Thanks for having us. so much. I'm on a Mexican Whoa, radio.
4: This is Chris Walker.
0: Welcome back to the St. Petersburg Foodies podcast. Our music segment showcases only local artists, and today we'll be featuring Joshua Riley. From Joshua's website, Riley has a style and message all his own. What I want people to get from listening to my music is, yes, there is hope in these hard times, says Riley. His lyrics and music convey the poignant truth that life can be brutal or grand as we navigate the road ahead and face up to the road behind. Riley was born, raised, and marinated on the cornfield-lined country roads of central Illinois, and then cultivated, ripened, and baked on the beaches and concrete swamps of Florida. Riley understands hard times, he knows redemption, and this unfiltered honesty pours out through his music. It's a slice of life served clever and real. Riley has performed around the country, including a national tour in support of his 2017 album, Mercy on the Strange. And while deepening his roots as a family man in Florida, Riley has become one of the most respected and beloved musical acts in the Tampa Bay area.
1: Before we hear the music, we have Joshua in studio with us to answer the Fast Five Foodies questions.
0: All right, Joshua, I'm going to fire off these questions now. Absolutely. What's your favorite food?
5: My favorite food. Originally from Springfield, Illinois. So, my kind of favorite food that I long for is, uh, is a bit of a gluttonous dish. It's a. Uh, Something that was originated in Springfield, Illinois. It's called a horseshoe.
0: What is that?
5: So, yeah, horseshoe is essentially you take two pieces of, one or two pieces of toasted bread, a protein. Generally, it's a a beef patty, ground beef patty. From that point, cheese sauce, then french fries over the top of that, and then more cheese sauce.
0: Jesus Christ, boy! What did you eat? That is gluttonous. It's wow. It's very gluttonous.
4: <laughs>
5: and it's kind of like a staple of my hometown. Each restaurant has their own version and you can get a smaller portion called a pony shoe.
4: Uh-huh.
5: Or if it's uh, too early in the day, you can get a breakfast horseshoe or pony shoe, which they, you know, sausage patties, sausage gravy, maybe uh, hash browns or home fries instead of French fries.
0: Is there a traditional type of bread they use?
5: No, I think Texas toast, kind of mm-hmm. like a, a thicker bread kind of thing. So it's not too often that I have these. I don't even make them at home. But every time that I go back to my hometown, I'll have at least at least one pony shoe somewhere.
0: Wow, I learn something new every day. That's right. Okay, what's your favorite restaurant in St. Pete?
5: My favorite restaurant in St. Pete. That's a good question. Uh, I really enjoy the Mill. Yes. Yeah, the, mill's the, great. the Mill is really really nice.
0: Yeah, you can't go wrong there ever. Salt or pepper? Pepper. Okay. That's Kevin, too.
5: <laughs>
0: Cilantro, love it, or does it taste like soap?
5: Yeah, I absolutely love it.
0: For me, it tastes like soap.
5: Mm. <laughs> it's so strange. that it, really It's a fact. genetic thing. Yeah. Can you cook? I can cook, yes. Not nearly as well as my two brothers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've always enjoyed it, and especially learning from my older brother, who's gone from being the one who could scrounge together something in our kitchen when we were 10 and 12 years old to owning his own catering company now that he does really, really well with in the Springfield area wow. as well, so. That's great. Yeah.
0: Well, now we're about to listen to your song, Summer's Come and Gone. Okay. And that's off what album?
5: Uh, it's off my, my first album. It's called Mercy on the Strange. Nice. Uh, we released that. It uh, was recorded real close to St. Pete here mm-hmm. at Zen Studios. Mm-hmm. And we released it in uh, 2017.
0: Any background on the, the song? What inspired it?
5: Uh, yeah. I, I do a songwriting group on Tuesdays at Crooked Thumb Brewery in Safety Harbor. And so I put out different themes f- for each week for people to challenge them to write a new song. And mm-hmm. the theme was summer. It ended up being a more a song about just enjoying the moment Uh, as kind of a summer love song but really it's just about taking it all in and and enjoying each moment as it comes
0: well great thank you let's let's play all right
6: moving slow and even though we both know how this story ends well, summer comes along and then summer's come and go again summer comes
1: Once again, that was Joshua Riley with Summer's Come and Gone. So for lunch today, we ordered 11 Chicks Yummy Creations from Bite Squad because we're having a working lunch doing our podcast.
0: Kevin was going to order tacos as he always does. But then I told him I was getting an arepa. I had no idea what that was before I got it today. And he described it and it sounded amazing. So I wanted that with carne asada, which is my favorite. So of course, then he decided, I want that too. So we got two different items to share. Chick number one with carne asada, bacon, avocado, cilantro aioli, and a special combination of Venezuelan cheese. Of course, I had them leave the cilantro aioli off for me. We also ordered chick number eight, paisa. It's carne asada, pork, fried egg, sweet plantain, chorizo, black beans, avocado, homemade sauce, and special combination of Venezuelan cheese. They were both delicious, just bursting with flavor. Didn't you think so?
1: Yeah, they were awesome, and they are also very hearty portions. Next time, we can share one of them. That's how huge they are. Oh,
0: it was huge. It was getting everywhere, too. It was delicious.
1: We got extra hot sauce. The hot sauce is awesome. It's called spicy sauce. Spicy sauce. Why did you like it?
0: Oh, I liked it because it was just besides having the heat that Kevin liked the most. It it really has such good flavor to it. It's hard to find sauce like that. It was delicious.
1: Yeah, and the other thing is we got lifesavers for dessert.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Putting me on! Each juicy piece has always had less than 10 calories?
3: You bet your lifesavers!
0: Wow, I can eat lifesavers and watch my figure!
3: Tell you what, you eat the lifesavers, I'll watch your figure! (laughs) Bobby!
1: So while we have lunch, we also like to read our mail. Our mailbox segment this week is a brief one, but a fun one. We have email from uh, Matthew Mitchells. He says, Keep up the amazing podcast. Would like to see a review of the Peabody in St. Pete. Hint, get the fish tacos. Matt. Thank you, Matt! From Diane Madison, she just says, great job, guys. Thank you, Diane. Gregory Milo says, thanks for featuring my music. You're welcome. Thanks for being on the show. And Leah Ogren says, love me some Gregory Milo. And Leah is a musician herself, and she will probably be coming on in the future. And thanks for writing in. Keep uh, writing in. Tell us what you think about the show and also about our topics. Whether you agree or disagree, we love to hear from everybody. We also have several news items this week, and all of the details on these can be found on stpetersburgfoodies.com. So go there and look for uh, Sea Dog Brew Pub. They're in Treasure Island. They are hosting a community-centered event coined Locals Fest. The event is an effort to highlight the neighborhoods by the Gulf Beaches, as well as to raise funds for coastal cleanup. So a portion of the ticket sales will benefit Tampa Bay Watch. They're uh, $10 a ticket uh, at the door, $5 in advance. The link for that is uh, on our site. That's on October 20th from 2 in the afternoon until 10. And it is uh, dog-friendly and family-friendly. And there will be a bunch of bands and food and beer trucks, food booths, merchandise tents. Uh, so check that out. We also have lots of Asian food in this week's news. Hawkers has a new menu with seven new items that are freaking delicious. Saigon Blonde, they are fairly new. They opened up on the 200 block of Central Avenue. They're in the location that used to be the nightclub Lux. They are now partnering with La Vie Vietnamese Fusion, so they will have some of La Vie's food available uh, during their all hours that they're open. It's different hours each day. Also, Bento Asian Kitchen and Sushi just opened recently downtown. So check out the details on that on our website. And we now have French food again in Saint Pete. The Left Bank Bistro is now open. They they're not quite downtown, but they are in the three three seven zero one zip code. You can get the exact location. See some really delicious looking food pictures and go check them out
0: please email us at lunchbox at st with your opinions feedback and questions to be featured in this segment
3: this is jason griffin from the mill restaurant you are listening to the st petersburg foodies podcast
0: for this week's tip of the week we want to talk about being mindful of proper attire when dining. We live in Florida, and it's frickin' hot for the majority of the time. We all know this, so it can be very tempting to just show up anywhere wearing whatever you want. But most restaurants in St. Pete don't really have a dress code, but some do. So if you're going to a nicer place that you've never been to before, check their website or call ahead. Most won't require a jacket. But for instance, on Il Retorno's website, they do have a dress code, and it states... The appropriate attire at Il Ritorno is business casual. We ask that no beach attire, sports jersey, athletic shorts, hats, tennis shoes, or flip-flops be worn. That's not too much to ask. Being mindful of a dress code is just being respectful to the restaurant, its atmosphere, and your fellow diners. You don't have to all go dressed out like Kevin and I used to back in the day, but just think about it.
1: Thank you for listening, thanks to our guests, and thanks to our sponsors. Our announcer is Candice Aviles from Meet the Chef and Channel 10 News, and our intro music is provided by the Chris Walker Band.
0: We'd like to remind you to check out all the latest restaurant reviews, foodies news, top 10 lists, and updated happy hours on Saint PetersburgFoodies.com.
1: If you're listening to us on iTunes or any other podcast app, please give us a rating, And also remember to share the show with your foodie friends. Until Until next time, time, may your food be hot
0: and your bubbly cold.
5: the story on those fish balls.
4: Coming right
6: out. Well, hurry it
5: up, all right? All I've had today is like six gummy bears and some scotch.